as I said, I'm one of the pastors here. My name is Chad. And I'm sincerely glad that you're worshiping with us this morning on the eve of our new year. I, I, I'm with Todd. I love these, these family services. Uh, and I promise you, moms with little ones, this will be a shorter sermon than normal, okay? So uh, about a month ago, a salesman came by my door, and we don't get too many salesmen uh, where we live, but a salesman came by my door and he gave me a, a pamphlet uh, for the window company that he represents. Uh, although we could use new windows, it's true, I didn't think much about uh, his offer until a few days later when I picked up that pamphlet and I started to read through it. And one thing that I read was they offer what they call a lifetime exclusive warranty package. Now that's a mouthful. Lifetime exclusive warranty package. Okay. So basically the details of this lifetime exclusive warranty package is any and all defects or damage to the windows that you receive, that you purchase from them for the lifetime of you owning that house, they will replace it at no cost to you. Any and all defects, any and all damage, they will fix those windows at their own cost and not at the expense of the homeowner. Well, that got my attention. Now, I'll be honest, I was and I still am a little skeptical. I mean, wouldn't you? It sounds a little too good to be true. I'm a little skeptical, but that kind of guarantee, it made me reconsider whether or not to purchase new windows from this company. In other words, this company's lifetime exclusive warranty, it gave me hope. Hope that buying new windows from this company would be a good purchase. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but living in an unpredictable and uncontrollable world, legitimate guarantees are hard to come by. Legitimate guarantees are hard to come by. And when we do come across one, it gives us a measure of assurance, it gives us a measure of confidence to be optimistic to be hopeful for a positive outcome, which is something we all want, a positive outcome. Now, some of this, us this morning, we're going to roll into 2024 feeling pretty good about things. 2023 was a good year for you. Life is humming and you're brimming with optimism and excitement about the future based on the year you just had. Others among us are feeling maybe down and out, or just blah about 2024 because of the cum cumulative challenges, setbacks, or heartbreaks that you experienced in 2023. But no matter which side of the aisle you find yourself on this morning, whether brimming with optimism or kind of blah, no matter which side of the aisle you find yourself on this morning, because we live in an unpredictable and uncontrollable an unstable world, we have no guarantees for how 2024 will be. Even if you eat your black-eyed peas tonight, it's not going to guarantee anything. And I eat my black-eyed peas, okay? We cannot know for certain how easy or challenging, fun or mundane, fulfilling or disappointing, financially successful or not, this coming year will be. The Lord does not offer us this kind of exclusive lifetime warranty package. He just doesn't in the here and now. We're pilgrims. We're aliens. We're strangers. If this is true, and it is, 
then what solid ground do we as believers have to stand on as we face the uncertainty of tomorrow? As the years roll by, some great, some terrible, some exciting, some forgettable, can we have any confidence where all of this is going, where our lives are heading, where all of human history is moving? Do we have any guarantees in this life providing us stability and confidence and hope as we live in an unstable world? This morning, we are going to look at a guarantee from God Almighty himself, okay? Exclusive warranty, whatever you want to call it. It's a guarantee from God Almighty. And we're going to look at it in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And like all guarantees, God's guarantee, it's intended to change our view of the future, as well as our mindset on the present. So Revelation 11 is an unfulfilled prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ's second coming. Now we just spent four weeks prior to Christmas and then Christmas looking at our Lord's first coming, Advent. But Advent has two parts. His first coming, Savior. His second coming, Judge. So we're going to look at Revelation 11. It's his second coming. And it's a vision that God revealed to the Apostle John. And this prophecy is positioned to be fulfilled during a future time called the Great Tribulation, okay? This particular vision in chapter 11. So as we look at this prophecy, we're going to talk about the details. I'm going to point out to you some important details about this guarantee, okay? And then we're going to spend some time addressing why it matters, how this changes our lives. So please read with me Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19, as we look at God's guarantee that his king and his kingdom are surely coming. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came. And the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. Okay. So something you should know about me, I am what you might call a futurist. That's a theological term for how you read Revelation. That means from Revelation 5 onward, I believe these visions that God gave John portray the future outworking of Christ's victory on the cross as judge and redeemer. So these are future outworkings that have yet to come. And I believe these will begin after the rapture. But this is still relevant for us today. So what we see in Revelation 11, 15 through 19, 
It's this prediction, it's this guarantee of a future regime change. Regime change. That's what we need. When God and his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, defeat Satan and replace Satan's worldwide rule with God's worldwide rule. This scene described in these verses, it's, it's a preview, it's a glimpse. It's kind of all smashed together in just a few verses. So let's jump into some of these details. The first one has to do with the, the timetable, the timetable of God's guarantee. So look at verse 15, and we see, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. So this is the seventh trumpet judgment. Okay, in Revelation, there are seven seal judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bowl judgments in that order. The seal judgments, they occur in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, before the Antichrist has uh, received worldwide rule. The first three and a half years are the seal judgments. The second three and a half years, the great tribulation, are the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. So God's guarantee that his kingdom will physically come and Christ will rule the world is made during the great tribulation, the latter three and a half years. Now here's the point I want to make regarding the details of God's guarantee. His guarantee of victory, it is made during the darkest days of Satan's worldwide rule. During the darkest days of Satan's worldwide rule, God is guaranteeing that his victory is coming and coming soon. Let me show you. Uh, It won't appear on the screen, but flip over to chapter 13. Just a few pages over in my Bible. Uh, Read with me chapter 13, verses 5 through 9. And what we're going to see here is chronologically speaking, the seventh trumpet judgment, when he makes this guarantee, it's during the time of the Antichrist's worldwide dominion. It looks like Satan is winning. Looks like his kingdom is the powerful kingdom. So read with me 13, 5 through 9. And the beast, that's the Antichrist, was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Okay, stop there. So at approximately the same time God in heaven is guaranteeing the victory of his kingdom. Satan's kingdom has covered the earth. We see that, that he has authority via the Antichrist to rule. We see that, that everyone is worshiping him. We see that he is conquering God's people. And yet God guarantees victory. Let me ask you, does your life at times feel like just a pile of ashes? Does it feel as if God is allowing sin and Satan just to run you over? I want you to know that Jesus, the King of kings, the Lamb 
of God. He is sitting right there beside you. His presence is your assurance that God in heaven will be victorious over everything in your life that is presently causing so much pain, distress, and anguish. God uses the brokenness of this world and of our lives to direct our gaze upward to him. He is the one in whom wholeness is found, and only in him is wholeness found. So God is with you. God is with you, believer, as you sit in that pile of ashes. Rest assured of his faithfulness to you. So we are to put our trust in him. We are to wait on him. We are to walk with him. And sometimes we are just to sit with him and cry. So something else we can learn by way of comparing Revelation 11, God's heavenly decree that his kingdom is victorious, as we compare it with Revelation 13, Satan's apparent victory on earth, it's this. Heaven and earth might appear to be going in opposite directions. They are. But heaven's decree is going to win out in the end. It's going to win out. One day God in heaven will come down to earth and cover the entirety of his creation with his kingdom. So flip back with me to chapter 11, verse 15. Let's look at this pronouncement. In verse 15, we, we see that there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Okay, so that phrase, the kingdom of the world. This is the same kingdom led by the future Antichrist that we just read about in chapter 13. But it's not only that future kingdom. The kingdom of the world is synonymous with what we see in verse 18, raging nations. Also in verse 18, destroyers of the earth. So these raging nations, they're unbelieving governments and nations that hate the one true God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and they want to rule independent of God. And these destroyers of the earth, in verse 18, this is not about environmental destruction. This is about moral and spiritual pollution because of the moral and spiritually polluted leaders who are leading people astray. My point is, is that these raging nations and these destroyers of the earth, this kingdom of the world, it is alive and well today. This kingdom of the world, it's the conglomeration of governments and nations and leaders of the world who oppose God and his Messiah. It includes those today, but it comes to its apex during the Great Tribulation. So presently, Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the world. The New Testament tells us this, that he's presently roaming and ruling the world, the kingdoms of the world. And although he has been defeated on the cross, the full results of that victory are waiting to be fulfilled. We are waiting for the Lord Jesus to return and fulfill those. And it'll only be fulfilled at his second coming. Okay, so with the coming new year, our country, which, which I love, I love America, I've lived overseas, this is a very special country. Nothing quite like it. 
With the coming new year, we will have a presidential election. And all I want to say about that is, no matter who is elected, he or she will not usher in the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdom of our Lord and his Christ will only happen when the Lord returns. Meaning no matter who is elected, he or she will disappoint us. So as the bride of Christ, let's not be people who are surprised by that fact. Instead, based on what our text is teaching us this morning, let's be people whose hope is solely and clearly in the Lord and in his Christ. So looking back at our, our text now, I want to show you the level of certainty that God has in himself that his kingdom is undoubtedly coming and coming soon. The certainty of his victory is spelled out in a few different ways, and I want to show these to you. First, back in verse 15 again, we see John, our author, records this heavenly chorus, these 24 elders. We see that they're using both the past and the future tense, and this is significant. In verse 15, we read, The kingdom of the world has become, that's past tense, the kingdom of our Lord, and he shall reign. That's future tense, forever and ever. So by putting the past and the future tenses together, here's the theological point John is making for us. What God expects to be, he has already decreed, and it will happen soon. What God expects to be, he has already decreed, and it will happen soon. You can take it to the bank. In other words, God's kingdom is both certain and near even though the world is presently governed by Satan. Secondly, we see the certainty of God's victory based on the name he chose for himself throughout the book of Revelation. Read with me the, verse, the first part of verse 17, where we see the name, the title. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty. Almighty. The name of God as Almighty is used nine times in Revelation. Interestingly enough, it is only used one time in the entire New Testament outside the book of Revelation. And it's an Old Testament quote. The title Almighty, it points to God's all-powerful sovereignty over the affairs of his created universe. But even more than that, one noted theologian wrote this. The title Almighty indicates not so much God's abstract omnipotence as his actual control over all things. The Almighty, he has actual control over all things. So why do you suppose God chose to identify himself as the Almighty throughout the book of Revelation? He wants to assure us, his people, those of us who have trusted in his son for the forgiveness of our sins, that no matter how out of control our lives might feel like they are down here on earth, he is in complete control up there. No matter how out of control our lives feel down here, the Almighty is in complete control in heaven. 
He's governing without interruption over every aspect of his created order. And he's, he's funneling all of human history, including our lives. He's funneling everything to this point in the future when Christ returns and rules. And there's a regime change. And those of us who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, guess what? We rule with Christ forever and ever. So in verse 15, this kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, the kingdom of God that will be ushered in, this is a glimpse of the actual arrival of God's righteousness covering the earth when He rules all of human society from Jerusalem. So it is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, in particular Daniel, as well as New Testament prophecies. I mean, think how often we've said the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the day that happens. Something further to note about the arrival of God's kingdom. It's this peculiar mixture of judgment with redemption. Okay, they happen together. Only when judgment is complete will God's redemption plan be complete. We see this intertwining of judgment with redemption in, in verse 18. On the one hand, we see the negative side of judgment against unbelievers, those who died while still at enmity with God. And we see this with the phrase, the nations raged, but your wrath came, your righteous anger came. And the time for the dead to be judged. And then skip to the last line of verse 18. And for destroying the destroyers of the earth. For, for destroying those wicked rulers who have led people astray. God judging those who reject him and his son by removing them from the earth is a crucial step in his kingdom redemption plan for all of creation. Jesus in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes, in verse 5, said it this way. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's this planet. It'll eventually be a new heaven, a new earth, new in righteousness. The meek are those who entrust their lives in the hand of God. It's those who have admitted they are sinners in need of a Savior and trusting in Jesus alone for that divine forgiveness and for that eternal life. We inherit the earth. In this same verse, in verse 18 of Revelation 11, we see this, the positive side of judgment. Namely, God rewarding His redeemed servants, the prophets and saints and those who fear Him, both great and small. This is God as the judge rewarding believers both great and small, for our faithfulness to Him. Despite the hardships of life in the present day kingdom of the world, we are citizens of heaven. Our King is in heaven. He, he is ruling. But the kingdom of the world is present, and we are living in that kingdom, filled with sin and temptation and hardships. And our God will reward us when His kingdom comes for our faithfulness to Him. For those of us who have trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, we are secure in Christ. We are forgiven by God and we are not destined for wrath, but inheriting 
the earth. To live in God's perfect kingdom. So why does this prophecy matter for the believer today? Why does it matter to us now that God has guaranteed his victory? He's guaranteed that his kingdom will come. In a word, hope. Hope. The certainty of the Lord's return to consummate his kingdom by way of total judgment, total redemption, and total rule. This is the believer's hope. It's a certainty. And so I ask you, is your life in shambles? If you know the Lord, you can hope in His return to make all things right and good. Is your heart broken? Then you can hope in the Lord's return when He resurrects all believers, reunites us with one another and with Him. And we are with one another and with Him for all eternity, ruling are you disappointed with your lot in life, your circumstances, things you can't change? Then hope in the Lord's return because you will be in the presence of God and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are you fearful of evil, the kingdom of the world, swallowing up all of creation, swallowing up our country? Hope in Christ's return. Because he will judge and he will bring about the total redemption of all of creation. Claiming every square inch as belonging to him. And he will rule perfectly. Conversely, are you brimming with joy and optimism? Then as long as your joy and optimism is based on the foundation of the hope we have and our Lord and His second coming, then just go right on being joyful and optimistic. We are people of hope. In closing, read with me verse 19. Now verse 19 is a, is a vivid image. It's a picture. And for me, vivid images, pictures, these help cement theological truths. Verse 19, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of His covenant was seen within His temple, there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and earthquake, and heavy hail. This scene of God's heavenly temple opening, accompanied with His ark, and lightning, and thunder, and earthquake, and hail, this all points to the very presence of God on the brink of breaking in to the brokenness of our world under Satan's domain, and establishing His kingdom, His presence here Forever and ever. He is coming. This text tells us he is coming. It is a certainty. He is the Almighty. And as the Almighty, he has decreed it. He will judge. He will rule. There will be a regime change. And as his people, we will rule with him. So let's put our hope in him. In his second coming. And his faithfulness. And may our hope be in him alone. As we walk into the new year. Let's pray. Father we thank you for your son. That as the lamb of God. He is also the king of the world. And that he will return to judge. To overthrow Satan. 
and the kingdom of the world and rightfully claim that which is his as king. May we be people who hope in him and in him alone. Lord, I pray your blessing on us as a church. May we radiate the certainty that we have of this hope in Christ and his return. May people just see that in us, this confidence that it's going to be okay because Jesus is coming back. He's going to make all things right and I'm going to be with him forever. Give us strength, Lord, to endure the present, to be faithful unto you. Fill us by your powerful spirit as we seek to glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet as we dismiss with the benediction. I invite you to return next Sunday. Ross will be back and we will resume our study through 1 Corinthians. Thank you for worshiping with us today. And I do hope and pray in the Lord uh, that 2024 is an awesome year for all of us as we magnify the Lord and His grace. Go walking in the power of the Spirit, standing on the sure foundation of God's promises secured for us by Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and hope in His return. Amen.